Isaiah chapter 7 is where we'll start off tonight, where we'll be tonight. But before we get to the text, I know there are prayer concerns. Uh, Danny and all right, so Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7, we're going to look at the first nine verses tonight. And then uh, uh, as weeks go on, we'll continue to work through chapter 7. We see the Lord send his prophet to speak to the king, an evil and wicked king. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 1. Now it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Rezin, king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramiah, king of Israel, went up to Jerusalem to make war against it, but could not prevail against it. And it was told to the house of David, saying, Serious forces are deployed in Ephraim. So his heart and the heart of his people were moved as the trees of the woods are moved with the wind. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out now to meet Ahaz, you and Shereshub your son, at the end of the aqueduct from the upper pool on the highway to the fuller's field, and say to him, Take heed and be quiet. Do not fear or be faint-hearted, for these two stubs of smoking firebrands, for the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Ramaliah, Ramaliah, because Syria, Ephraim, and the son of Ramaliah have plotted evil against you, saying, Let's go up against Jerusalem, Judah and trouble it, and let us make a gap in its wall for ourselves and set a king over them, the son of Tabel. Thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand, nor shall it come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be broken, so that it will not be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Ramaliah's son. If you shall not believe, surely you shall not be established. So we see the word of the Lord coming to the king. And you know, it's kind of interesting, and you can't see this really in the white space between the end of chapter 6 and the beginning of chapter 7. But 16 years pass. 16 years from when Isaiah saw the Lord and heard the word of the Lord saying, Who is going to go for us? Who shall we send? Who are we going to send with this message of judgment? 16 years passed between that call and between the first recorded message of Isaiah after that call. Uh, we know that because it says in, uh, in, in chapter 6, verse 1, the, Isaiah saw the Lord in the year that King Uzziah died. And now in chapter 7, verse 1, we see now it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah. And so, uh, so Uzziah's son Jotham reigned for 16 years. And then he died, and then Ahaz, his son, became, became king. So there was actually 16 years, at least 16 years, that passed between the call of Isaiah in chapter 6 and the first recorded message of Isaiah after that in chapter 7. Now, uh, Jotham, the son of Uzziah, reigned in Jerusalem 16 years, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And he was one of the few 
good kings in Judah. Remember the northern kingdom, uh, Israel, they had zero good kings. Judah had a handful of, of, uh, of good kings because they were the, uh, uh, you know, every king of Judah was a descendant of David, of the house of David. And so there were a few good kings. Uzziah was one, Jotham was one, Hezekiah who comes after Ahaz will be one, Josiah. So there's some good kings in the southern kingdom, and Jotham was one of those few good kings. Uh, he added an upper gate to the house of the Lord, and he continued the work of his father Uzziah. And you remember Uzziah was a, a good king until he uh, violated the checks and balances, and as king he did what only the priest could do, going and burning incense into the holy place, and the holy place, and God struck him with leprosy. He lived out the end of his reign in exile and disgrace as a leper outside of the city. Uh, and, then, uh, and then Jotham took the throne, and Jotham continued uh, in those reforms, uh, uh, adding to the house of the Lord, continuing the work of his father. Uh, but largely the people didn't follow his leadership. Jotham was a good king, but the people continued to burn incense and offer sacrifices on the high places. Uh, they continued to worship at the places that were convenient to them. Uh, we've talked about high places when we went through the Kings and Chronicles. And, uh, uh, you know, so each town kind of had a, uh, when they entered the land, there were the places of worship that people would go into the high places, the mountains uh, closer to heaven to to worship, to, burn, to, to offer sacrifices, to burn incense to their gods. Well, when Israel came in, Judah came in and took the land, uh, they continued to worship on those high places. So, you know, they would worship Yahweh there, or they would worship the local deities there, uh, and, and ignoring the command of God to only worship Him, only in Jerusalem, and only the priests shall burn incense and offer sacrifices, but instead the people chose to worship where they wanted, when they wanted, who they wanted, <laughs> and, and uh, uh, so they, they gave in to convenience and comfort. It's a lot easier to go to the high place outside of my town than go all the way to Jerusalem to offer my sacrifice. And so uh, the people worshiped where they wanted, when they wanted, the way they wanted, they ignored God's commands about worshiping him alone in Jerusalem alone, uh, led by the Levites alone. But uh, Jotham was leading well, and because of his good and steady hand of leadership, Jerusalem, Judah experienced a relative time of peace and security. And uh, uh, Isaiah, the prophet that was called to make the heart of the people dull, to make their ears heavy and that caused them to shut their eyes when he preached. Evidently, during those 16 years, he didn't have much to say, uh, or, or, or certainly nothing recorded, nothing that he said that has been recorded and, and, uh, and kept for us. You know, maybe he was ministering there in the court of Jotham, and everything was going well. It was a time of peace and tranquility, and so we don't have a recorded message of Isaiah during those 16 years during the reign of Jotham. But when Jotham died, all of that changed. His son Ahaz was a wicked king, an unbelievably wicked king. And I put the context, if you want to go read more about the uh, reign of Ahaz, 
and his sins and even this battle between the Syrians and the Israelis and, the, and Judah and the aftermath of all that battle. Uh, these two chapters, 2 Kings 16 and 2 Chronicles 28, uh, show the historical context of this message that Isaiah delivers to Ahaz. But those books show us that Ahaz was a wicked king. He did not follow in the steps of his father Jotham and his grandfather Uzziah. He worshipped idols, and he even, the text says, made his son pass through the fire, which we believe means that he offered his son as a living sacrifice to the pagan god Molech in the valley of, of uh, Gehenna, in the, uh, the, the valley outside of Jerusalem the, where the altar to Molech was set up. And so he was so wicked that he himself sacrificed his son, who was a descendant of David, to the pagan king, I mean the pagan god. And Ahaz himself sacrificed and burnt incense on the high places and under every green tree. So Ahaz is an exceedingly wicked and evil king, rejecting God, rejecting the worship of God, uh, rejecting his own son, a descendant of David, sacrificing him to the pagan god Molech. And as a result, God raised up enemies against Judah to be the instruments of his wrath, the instruments of his judgment. God raised up the nations as his judgment against his people and their wicked leader. And during this time, Assyria is arising as the world's superpower. Power. The Assyrian Empire with its capital city in Nineveh, which is modern-day Mosul, Iraq. Assyria uh, is growing in power and influence and has a mighty army that is expanding its territory, conquering the peoples, and the Assyrian Empire has set its sights on the Middle East. And, uh, uh, and to expand their territory, they are headed toward the region of Palestine, Syria, Israel, Judah, heading in that direction. And as a result, and as a result, Syria and Israel form an alliance in order to stand against Assyria. So Syria, whose king is Rezin, Israel, whose, uh, whose king is Pekah, they form an alliance. And they're going to try to stand against the Assyrian advance, the Assyrian army. And they want Judah to join their alliance. So they have formed a regional alliance, Assyria, I mean Syria and Israel aligned themselves against Assyria, and they want Judah to join their alliance. But Judah, Ahaz, the king of Judah, refuses. He refuses to join that, that, uh, that alliance. And as a result, Syria and Israel attack Judah. And the plan is they will go, they will attack Judah, they will conquer Jerusalem, they will remove Ahaz from the throne, 
and they will install someone on the throne that wants to join their alliance. And so their mission is regime change. They're going to come and dispose, depose Ahaz and put the son of Tabel on his throne that we see in verse 6. So that's the plan. Assyria and Israel move against Judah with the goal, the mission of regime change. Get rid of Ahaz and put another guy on the throne because that other guy wants to join our alliance and then we can present a more formidable defense to Assyria. Um, and so uh, God sends his prophet to speak to Ahaz. And uh, why would God stand to defend Ahaz against this aggression even though Ahaz was an incredibly wicked and evil king. Why will God defend him? All right, because Ahaz is a son of David. He is a descendant of David. And we even see here, uh, uh, verse 2, if we forget this, it was told to the house of David. Ahaz is not called Ahaz there, he's called the house of David. And so Ahaz is the descendant of David. God has made a covenant with David that he will have a son sitting on the throne forever and ever. And so even though Ahaz is incredibly wicked and incredibly evil and does not deserve God's rescue, he does not de deserve God's deliverance, but God is a faithful God, a promise-keeping God, a covenant-keeping God, and he comes to the defense of Ahaz for the sake of his servant David. And uh, because of his faithfulness and his promise to preserve the, son, the line of David and to bring the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world into the world through the line of David. And so it's the Davidic dynasty that is at stake. It's not about Ahaz, it's about the Davidic dynasty. God had made a covenant with David to have one of his sons on the throne. And so as we read in Kings and Chronicles, the initial assault was very successful. The Assyrian and Israeli army went like a hot knife through butter as they attacked Judah, the outpost, the northern part of Judah. And they, they were very, very successful. The Syrians captured a great multitude of Judean citizens and took them to, to Damascus. And the text also tells us that 120,000 Judeans were killed in one day. All right, so the initial assault was very successful. 120,000 killed in one day. In 10 years in Vietnam, our country lost 58,000. And so in one day... Judah lost twice the number of soldiers that we lost in Vietnam in 10 years. And so that is the extent of the success that Israel and Syria had. And, and not only that, so 120,000 Judeans were killed because they had forsaken the Lord their God, uh, the God of their fathers. But in addition to the great multitude that was taken captive to Damascus, Israel took captive 200,000 Judeans, women, sons and daughters, and carried them to Samaria. 
All right, so a great multitude taken to Damascus, 120,000 killed, 200,000 taken to Samaria, the capital city of Israel. And so this is pretty bad. And, and this is not even Assyria, this is just Syria and Israel. And so the initial assault was very successful. The Syrian and Israeli armies had great success in moving through the northern part of Judah. And then they came and laid siege on Jerusalem. And that's what we see in verse 1. We, Isaiah doesn't tell us about the initial part of the battle. We find that in Kings and Chronicles. But we see that Rezin, king of Syria, Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, the king of Israel, went up to Jerusalem to make war against it, but could not prevail against it. All right, so their advance stopped when they got to Jerusalem. When they got to the walled city of Jerusalem, they were not over to, able to prevail against Jerusalem, so they laid siege. So they come against Israel, and they are going to starve the people out. So they lay siege to Jerusalem. In verse 2, it's told to the house of David, saying Syria's forces are deployed in Ephraim. So the Syrian forces have gone all through Ephraim. And Ephraim is another word for what? Israel, the northern kingdom, sometimes called Ephraim, the younger son, the greater son of Joseph. That, uh, so sometimes to distinguish the ten northern tribes from Israel as a whole, that northern kingdom, those ten tribes that are in rebellion against the house of David, Sometimes, many times, are called Ephraim after the principal tribe, the, the younger son, and yet the greater son of Joseph. When, remember when Jacob blessed the sons of Joseph, he crossed his arms and put the younger ahead of the older. And so that was Ephraim and Manasseh. And Ephraim then has become another word for those ten northern tribes, the ten northern kingdoms. So the army of Syria has filled Ephraim and now the army of Syria and Israel have laid siege to Jerusalem. And what's the response of the people? His heart and the heart of his people move as the trees of the woods are moved with the wind. They are afraid. <laughs> they are terrified. They are trembling. They are on the verge of being blown away, blown over by their fear of this mighty army that has already devastated so much of the country and is now laying siege to the capital city. And Ahaz was the son of David, but we are not told that he calls upon the name of the Lord. He has already sacrificed his son to the pagan god Molech. He burns incense and offers sacrifices in all the high places. He does not call on the name of the Lord. He does not call out to God for safety or deliverance. But God in his great mercy sends his prophet to the king. Verse 3, then the Lord said to Isaiah, go out now to meet Ahaz. You and your son share Jashub your, uh, at the end of the aqueduct from the upper pool on the highway to the fuller's field. All right, so if an enemy army is laying siege to your city... What are the, most, the two most critical resources 
for your city when an enemy army lays siege? Food and water. All right, so what's the king going to do? He's going to check on the water supply. <laughs> the king is uh, going out to the aqueduct. He, uh, he's going out to uh, the aqueduct on the upper pool on the, fr- uh, the highway to the Fuller's Field. So he's probably going to check on the water supply, a place where the city might be vulnerable to make sure that it is secure, it's defended, that the people will be able to have water in order to stay alive and to, to lay out this siege. And so he goes out to the aqueduct and God sent his prophet and the prophet brought his word to the king so the first thing we notice in this text is that God speaks he speaks to the evil wicked king he speaks to Ahaz the son of David sitting on the throne of Judah sitting on the throne of Jerusalem he is wicked and he is evil and he deserves destruction, and this judgment has been brought upon the nation because of him, because of his leadership, and because of the, the disbelief of the people. But God speaks. God sends this prophet to speak to Ahaz, and I think we see four different ways that God, God speaks to him. First, God speaks to the king through a prophetic name. Uh, who does Isaiah take with him when he goes to speak to the king as he inspects the water supply. His son, and his son's name is Shir Jashub, which means the remnant will return. And so Isaiah was instructed by God to give his son a prophetic name. And you know what? That's going to kind of be a theme going in the next few chapters. We're going to see a lot of children with prophetic names that are important to the, uh, to the prophecy over in, uh, over in uh, or just later in this chapter, we're going to hear a, a baby be born, and his name is Emmanuel, God with us. And, uh, and uh, down the road, old Mayor Shalahaspaz is going to come around, and so, so uh, uh, God speaks to his people through prophetic names. And then later in the Bible, we're going to see a name, Jesus, the Lord is salvation, and his name will be called Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. And so many times God speaks to his people through prophetic names. He changed the name of Abram and Sarai. He changed the name of Jacob. He changes the name of Simon, Peter. And so God speaks through his people through the prophetic name. And this name Sher Jashub means a remnant will return. And so it is a name of judgment. God's wrath will come. The majority will be destroyed. And we've already seen that a little bit. Uh, a great multitude has already been taken captive to Damascus. 120,000 have been killed in one day. 200,000 have been taken captive to Samaria. And so God's judgment has come. God's judgment will come. God's judgment will continue to come. There will be disaster and devastation. The majority will be destroyed. It's a name of judgment, God's wrath. But it is also a name that points to mercy. God's judgment will come. The majority will be destroyed. But there will be a remnant. There will be some that remain. 
And those that remain will return. They will return and inhabit the land. Judah will be reestablished. Jerusalem will be resettled. And the temple will be rebuilt. And so God speaks to the king through the prophetic name of his son, Shir Jashub. And then we see also that God speaks through the counsel brought to the king by another human, by his servant, by his prophet. Verse 3, the Lord said to Isaiah, go out now to meet Ahaz, you and Sher Jashub, your son, at the end of the aqueduct from the upper pool on the highway to the fuller's field, and say to him, take heed and be quiet, do not fear or be faint-hearted. All right, so God provides counsel. He speaks through his prophet. He speaks through his man. He speaks through his servant. He offers him biblical counsel. He tells him two things that he ought to do and two things that he ought not to do. First, he tells him what to do. Take heed. Be careful. Watch yourself. Guard your heart. Be careful how you respond to the situation. The king has been told that uh, these two kings, these two armies have come to make war against Jerusalem. He's been told that serious forces are deployed in Ephraim, that there's this powerful alliance that has come against him. The Syrian army, the Israeli army have, 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 have come against him and against his city and against the city of Jerusalem. He's been told that, and his heart and the heart of his people were moved as trees of the woods are moved with the wind. They are terrified, they are trembling, they are afraid, and the prophet comes and says, watch yourself. Be careful how you respond to this. Take heed. Guard your heart. And then he tells him, be quiet. And that does not mean shut up in this context. And that word, it means to be calm, to be peaceful, to, to be still, to have a stillness, a quietness of spirit. Don't be alarmed. Uh, be undisturbed, be at peace. Look to the Lord and find a peace that goes beyond your ability to understand it. The circumstances certainly look horrible, but watch yourself, watch your heart, and be at peace. Fix your eyes on God, and you will experience a peace that goes beyond our ability to understand. So be careful, take heed, and be quiet. And then he tells him two things not to do. Do not fear or be faint-hearted. Don't be afraid and do not allow your heart to be weak and cowardly. Don't be timid. Don't be a coward. Don't be afraid. And that fear calls you not to stand and not to do the right thing. Don't be anxious. So Isaiah was called to go to the king and provide biblical counsel. To warn, to correct, to instruct. And he counseled the king on the condition of his heart. 
stop being fearful and start being courageous and confident in God. And so God speaks through the name of the prophet's son, the prophetic name. God speaks directly to him through his prophet. And then third, God speaks through metaphor. He uses a metaphor in verse 4. Take heed and be quiet. Do not fear or be faint-hearted. For these two stubs of smoking firebrands, for the fierce anger of Rezin and Samaria and the, the, the son of Ramaliah. And so he uses a metaphor. What does he, what does he call the two kings? All right, two, two stubs of uh, smoking firebrands. All right, what's the image? What's the comparison? Yeah, so they had burned hot for a moment, but now that fire's about to go out. So it's like striking a match, and that match blazes up, and there's a fire, but, it, but then it begins to smolder, and that flame is extinguished. And so, uh, so, you know, many times in scriptures we see a metaphor. Metaphor is a comparison where one thing is referred to as being another thing, and uh, metaphors aren't to be, to be taken literally. You know, when we say somebody is a couch potato, we're not saying that they're a vegetable that have grown up from the couch. We're, we're using the metaphor to show that uh, uh, maybe they spend more time on the couch than they should. But uh, 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 it's, it's a comparison, but it's, it's helping us to see a characteristic of one thing by comparing it to another and help us see an aspect of truth. And so, uh, so these two kings might have burned brightly at one time, They've had great success coming through northern Judah, taking captives and killing soldiers. They have had great success. They have burnt brightly for a moment. But that fire is about to burn itself out and be completely extinguished. The threat will not last for long. These two kings are like a match that is about to go out. So God speaks. Through the prophetic name of the son, he speaks directly to the king and direct commands from the prophet, and he speaks through metaphor to bring encouragement to the heart of the wicked and evil king, and then fourth, he speaks through a promise. Speaks through a promise, verse 5, because Syria, Ephraim, the son of Ramaliah have plotted, plotted evil against you, saying, let's go up against Judah and trouble it. Let's make a gap in its wall for ourselves. And here's the mission. Set a king over them. Get rid of Ahaz and, and, and put the son of Tabel on the throne. That's, that's what they have conspired to do. But verse 7, thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand nor shall it come to pass for the head of Syria is Damascus the head of Damascus is resin within 65 years Ephraim will be broken so that it will not be a people and we know this does come true as Assyria comes in and takes the 10 northern tribes captive 
And so within 65 years, Ephraim's going to be broken. Not going to be a people anymore. The head of Ephraim is Samaria. The head of Samaria is Ramaliah's son. And so God speaks through a promise. The enemy will not succeed in attacking Jerusalem. The enemy will not succeed in removing Ahaz from the throne. Ahaz is a wicked and evil king. He deserves to be uh, destroyed. He does not deserve to be preserved, but he is a descendant of David. And God is a covenant-making and a covenant-keeping God, a promise-making, promise-keeping God. And so the plot to overthrow and end the dynasty of David will not succeed. And not only will the plot to overthrow the government fail, but the kingdom of Israel will be defeated, the whole kingdom will be scattered, and the nation, the ten northern tribes, will be no more. So God speaks to the king through promise. Their mission will not succeed, and these enemy armies that face you, they are going to be scattered, they're going to be destroyed, you do not have to worry about them. And then God speaks of those nations and, and, and showing that these nations have, have human heads. The head of Syria is Damascus, the capital city. The head of Damascus is Rezin, the king, the human king. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, the capital city. And the head of Samaria is Ramaliah's son. And it, it's interesting, Pekah is also a very wicked king. Uh, and he doesn't refer to him by name, he just refers to him as Ramaliah's son. And so God makes it clear that both of these kingdoms have human heads. And those human heads, those human leaders will be destroyed. Human leadership is temporary. Human leaders come and go. As we read in Daniel chapter 4, what God said to Nebuchadnezzar, God raises up human leaders for his purpose and he takes them down. Uh, when their purpose has been achieved. Rezin and Pekah have been raised up by God to be the instrument of his judgment and discipline against his people. He's come against Judah. He's come against Jerusalem because of the wickedness of Ahaz and the wickedness of the people. And he's using these armies to discipline them, to bring his judgment upon them. And when their mission is accomplished, God will take them down and judge them because of their wickedness. They are temporary. They are instruments in the hand of the Lord. These human leaders cannot overcome the plan and the purpose of God. They have come against Judah by God's direction to discipline them. But Judah is the chosen tribe out of the chosen people. And God is their head. God is in charge. He mediates his rule through the house of David. And the house of David will stand forever because God has chosen Judah. He has chosen Jerusalem. He has chosen David. And he is the head. And he is in charge. And he is in control even of these human leaders. And so he asked Ahaz, in the day of trouble, who are you going to call? And unfortunately, you see in Kings and Chronicles, Ahaz calls on the king of Assyria to actually come and help him. And the king of Assyria refuses. And so Ahaz goes to Damascus. 
and gets their gods and the design for their temple, and he brings those things back to Jerusalem. Ahaz fails miserably, but that's uh, uh, beyond the scope of this message. But that's how it ends. And so uh, God speaks to Ahaz, and he tells him to have faith. Look at the last words of verse 9. If you will not believe, surely you shall not be established. And we see that's exactly what happens. So for this message, God speaks. And then God calls for faith. Trust his word. Have confidence in his word. And he tells the king prophetically, if you don't believe, you won't be established. What's the positive? If he does believe, he will be established. (laughs) If you do believe, you will be saved. If you do believe, you will be delivered. And so, believe. The king can see the enemy armies encamped around his city. He can see the vulnerability of the water supply. He can see the danger. He can see the fear of his people. He can see the hearts of his people and even his own heart being moved as the trees of the woods are moved with the wind. And so he has a choice. Is he going to believe what he sees? Or is he going to believe the word of the Lord that has come to him? And the word has come to him through the prophetic name, through direct counsel, confrontation, call for change through metaphor, and through promise. Who's he going to believe? Is he going to believe his eyes? Or is he going to believe the word of the Lord that has come to him through Isaiah? Isaiah calls the king to trust in what he cannot see instead of what he does. And uh, we learn in the New Testament that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to him must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. The king is being asked to believe God, to believe his word, to believe his promise. The king is being asked to trust in the power and the faithfulness of God and that by believing in God, then he can act without fear. He cannot be timid, but he can stand and be courageous and move out with confidence because he is acting based on the word of the Lord. Watch out. Be careful how you respond to your circumstances. Don't be afraid. Don't be timid. Don't be cowardly. Instead, believe the word of the the Lord. Be courageous and confident and stand by faith in the Lord's word and the Lord's power and the Lord's promise and the Lord's covenant. And so God calls the king faith. He sends out his word and he calls him to believe. He calls him to trust. And we see that God's word contains both judgment and mercy. Just as Shir Jeshub, the remnant will return, contains both judgment and mercy. Judgment will come, but a remnant will be saved.
God calls us to believe his word. And the same word brings judgment or mercy. And what's the difference? Who are those who receive his judgment? The unbelieving. And those who believe, they are saved. That's the difference. Faith. The same word that brings judgment to the unbelieving brings life to the believing. So whether God's word is good news or bad news depends upon your response. If you respond to the word of the Lord with faith, that's good news. If you respond in disbelief, that's bad news for you. And so just as God calls Ahaz not to, to, to believe his eyes, but to believe the word of the Lord, he calls us the same. And that word is a message of judgment on the unbelieving and salvation to the believing. And Ahaz is a wicked and evil king. He does not deserve to be saved from those armies. The people are wicked and evil. They do not need, deserve to be spared. But God will save them. God will rescue them. He will deliver them from their enemies. And he will destroy their enemies. And he will do that not because they deserve it. But he will do that because of his word. His promise to David. His covenant. His plan. And his purpose. It is not about Judah. It's not about Ahaz. It's not about the people. It is about God and his promise the wickedness of the king will not prevent the Lord from keeping his promises. The power of the enemy will not keep the Lord from keeping his promises. The evil of the people and the sin of the nation will not keep God from keeping his promises. God is faithful. He is a promise-keeping God. And so God promises to deliver Ahaz. Not because of who Ahaz is, but because of who God is. And what God has said and his promise to David. And like Ahaz and like Judah, like Jerusalem, we do not deserve God's grace. But if we believe, we will be established. We will be saved. We will stand. Not because we deserve it, but because of his promise to David. And God's promises to David are fulfilled in David's greater son, Jesus Christ, Jesus, the Son of David, the Son of Man, the Son of God. God accepts us. God saves us. God delivers us from our enemies, not because of us, but because of his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Jesus took the punishment we deserve by dying on the cross. God showed his wrath, was satisfied by raising Jesus from the dead. God's word comes to us, and it comes to us in prophetic names. Jesus, the one who will save his people from their sins. Emmanuel, God with us. God's word comes to us through faithful messengers, through the church, through people who love us enough to confront us, to rebuke, to correct. Just as Isaiah came to Ahaz to rebuke, don't be afraid, to correct be calm, be quiet, be courageous. God's word comes to us through people, through the church. His word comes to us in metaphor. And his word comes to us through promises. And he calls us to believe. And if we believe, we will stand. Not because of us, but 
because of his kindness to us in Christ. He calls us to believe. And his word is bad, bad news to those who do not believe. Judgment is coming. But his word is good news to those who believe. A remnant will return. And those who believe, they will stand. And our hearts can be changed from hearts that are being blown uh, like trees of the woods moved by the wind because of our fear, our timidity, cowardice. When we believe the word of the Lord, we can be transformed and be strong and courageous and confident in the word of the Lord knowing that if we believe, we will stand. Judgment will come, but a remnant will return. So God delivers his word, and he calls us to believe, calls us to faith. All right, questions or comments about uh, God's message to Ahaz? Well, the first part. All right, next week we'll look at uh, the, the conversation continues between Ahaz and Isaiah. All right, any thoughts, comments? Yes. All right, let's, uh, let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak. And Lord, you, we thank you that you speak to us in so many different ways. And Lord, we thank you that your word is sure. It's reliable. It's true. It is authoritative. And it is based upon your character, your faithfulness, your truth, your righteousness. And so, Lord, we pray that you help us to hear your word and to understand your word in all its different ways that it comes to us. Help us to hear and understand. And then, Lord, by your grace, help us to believe. Help us to believe your truth and to believe the promises that you have made to Jesus that you will give him a people and you will not lose a single one of the ones for whom he died. The sheep that he calls to himself that know his voice and follow him. Lord, help us to stand on your promises to him. And then, Lord, help us to be transformed from fear to courage, from timidity to confidence, from trembling to standing firm, from being faint-hearted to being bold and brave and confident. Lord, help us to hear your word, help us to believe it, and help us to be transformed by it. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you so much.